Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the Telling the Story podcast, a look at how journalists and all of us reach the world. I'm Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a reporter at NBC in Atlanta. A couple of things. First of all, you can now subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. If you don't use Stitcher, it's probably the best podcast app that I know. It keeps a playlist of your favorite shows and automatically updates with the new episodes, so you don't need to download episode after episode. The playlist is right there for you. Download the Stitcher app and then subscribe to the Telling the Story podcast. Secondly, a reminder that my new book is now available for purchase. It's called The Solo Video Journalist. It is a how-to guide for TV multimedia journalists or MMJs. It is specifically aimed at those in college or just starting out. I walk you step-by-step step through the creation of a story, and I tackle the many challenges that arise when you have to do it all by yourself. It features advice not just from me, but from nearly a dozen of the top solo video journalists in the business today, one of whom is the woman I'm about to introduce. She has risen up the ranks as an MMJ from Rochester, Minnesota to Knoxville, Tennessee to her current job at one of the best storytelling stations in the country. See, she is a solo video journalist for Care TV in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Heidi Wigdahl, welcome to the Telling the Story podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. You make me sound uh, so much more... Uh, professional than I really am. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Well, Heidi, not only were you interviewed uh, for my book, and we'll get into that, but you received a pretty impressive and very professional opportunity a few months ago, serving on an all-MMJ panel at the Ignite Your Passion workshop in the Twin Cities. I heard great things about the panel. Uh, how was that experience for you? Oh, it was so amazing, and it really was inspiring not only for the journalists who were there. A lot of them are young ones, like you were saying, right out of college, usually in their first market. Uh, but it was also an amazing experience, I think, for the three three of us who spoke on the panel. I learned a lot and felt really, well, it's called Ignite Your Passion. And I did feel that. I did feel re-energized, you know, to go back out there in MMJ. And it's fun hearing from young MMJs who are really excited about trying to make their work the best they can be. That's, uh, that's great. And we're going to talk all about MMJ life uh, on this podcast. Was there, a, was there a question that surprised you or a question that you heard and you were like, you know, people don't ask this enough or address this enough when it comes to MMJs? You know, they did ask a lot of ones that I think, you know, right away we were all like, yes, we can totally relate to this. But one, one question someone said, what do you do when people are talking to you while you're trying to shoot video where you're trying to get your B-roll. And I had never been asked that question before, but I think it's a good one because when you have two person teams, you can take that person to the side while you're trying to get all that video. And so you can kind of distract them. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're by yourself, you feel rude not talking to them. And at the same time, you don't want all of your video to just have their voice at the bottom of it. So I was telling them that, well, we were all kind of talking about it, but I was saying how, you know, I think sometimes people like when you let them into the process a little bit and you give them kind of a little bit of insight into how TV news works. And so I usually just tell them if they are super chatty and they're not really getting the hint that I'm trying to film things, I'll just explain to them how it works, how even though I'm not interviewing them right now, it's still recording their sound. And so usually that makes them you know, be quiet for the rest of the time without me feeling like I'm being super rude and, and ignoring them. So I thought that was a good question because especially when I first started off, I had a lot 
of the talking underneath <laughs> all of my video. And it's impossible to edit that. I actually think that is a really good question because that is something that, again, the, the whole point of having MMJs on panels and the whole reason I wrote my book is because there are there are issues that we face that might not seem obvious to people who haven't gone through it. And that's such a perfect example of one where, yeah, you know, you don't have a reporter with you to distract people while you're getting your B-roll. And I've always found... I, 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 it's, it's a very tough line to toe, but I try to thread that needle of, you know, letting them in on the process without reminding them over and over again that this is TV and that this is for a new yeah. story because you want to make sure that it's an authentic situation. But at the same time, I'm always a big believer in transparency. So if I arrive, uh, at, uh, at someone's home to interview them and I want to get some uh, photographs and I want to just shoot the video of the, of the photographs and not have their voice on it. I'll kind of let them know that that's what I'd like to do. And if, if they have something they need to do for the next few minutes, they can do that. Or, you know, right. we can certainly stick around and, and kind of watch, but trying to let them in on the process and make them comfortable with it because sometimes developing that comfort is a great way to bring out authenticity when you are shooting video of them. Yeah, definitely. I just did a story where uh, her two kids were sitting in the room while I was interviewing her and uh, she just asked them, you know, do you have any questions for her? And so I was kind of telling them a little bit about how I go about my day. They're like, so this is going to air in three hours. You know, they're always so surprised about right. the, the, the time lapse. And um, automatically, it just felt so much more comfortable just talking to them a little bit and letting them ask questions like that. And, yeah, I, I really um, I really enjoy doing that with people. I um, I enjoy when people kind of get to know the process a little bit. And then when they see the story, they kind of realize why I'm shooting so much video. Because I think a lot yeah. of times people are surprised. <laughs> and usually by the time I leave, people are like, so, you know, you didn't get everything you needed an hour ago. And, but then you get to, you know, you, you show the story and then when they watch it and they, and they look, they're like, oh, okay, it all makes sense now. And so I think there is there is some enjoyment there when it's you know when it's not a hard news story where you know if it's right. especially if it's a profile piece where you're interviewing someone and it's a positive story that can be a good thing I think and and trying to take advantage of your solo status rather than be hindered by it. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, so you were on this panel at IYP uh, Ignite Your Passion, and one thing that excited me when I heard about this was that two of the three people, yourself included, are women. And that's yeah. a constant criticism of photojournalism and storytelling conferences in general. Too many men, especially when it comes to talking about the solo video journalist position. Um, you're still young in the field. How important has it been for you, not just to find MMJ mentors in general, but to find ones that are women and that can relate on that level? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good point and super important. And, and not just women, but, you know... Um, people from all different backgrounds, you know, I'm half Filipino. Adrian was on um, the panel as well, and she's African-American. I think it's so important to have so many different types of voices yes. talking about it because you're all coming from different places. Um, yeah, but especially with women, I mean, it's just really empowering. I was telling you a little bit about that group, the MM Jane group on Facebook, and so it's all women MMJs. And 
so there is a special bond. I mean, it's just like, you know, me growing up, I'd watch movies and you see someone when I would see someone who's Asian, who's, who's a woman starring in a TV role or in a movie, you know, that was inspiring to me. That gave me hope or, or even watch Lisa Ling. You know, I'm a big fan yeah. of Lisa Ling. Having those people that you can see yourself in, I think is really important. And so, yeah, across the board with having other female MMJs to look at their work and uh, to get advice from them, I think that's so important. And Adrienne, I mean, she's one of my uh, best friends, and she is my best friend at CARE. <laughs> and we spend a lot of time helping each other out. You know, we'll ask each other different questions. How do you do this? You know, can you help me with my audio? It, it, so it's really, um, I think, important to find those people in your life. And you're talking about Adrian Brodus uh, over yeah. at CARE as well, another very strong MMJ. Um, you know, it's an interesting distinction when you talk about looking up to people who might represent you as a minority, whether that's with race or ethnicity, and then talking about this situation where women are not, as far as I can tell, women are not the minority when it comes to MMJs. No. And no, they are not. No, they're and and I spoke at Ignite Your Passion back in 2014. It was the first conference uh, and or workshop that I'd really been asked to speak to of that level. And I remember back then I was the only, uh, um, I was one of pretty much every pretty much every speaker was male except for the social media speaker. So every person who was speaking about TV news storytelling was a man, and I was the only MMJ speaker. And I can't talk about things like how to dress and how to prepare yeah. <laughs> and not include the female perspective on that. Like that right. and, and I knew going in that that was a priority for me. So before I spoke, I canvassed my female colleagues in, in, uh, in Atlanta and basically peppered them with questions about things about which I knew very little. And I included their insights in the presentation. And, and sure enough, when I showed up at that workshop, my hunch was correct because the majority of MMJs in attendance were women. But I feel like that's often overlooked or maybe not appreciated fully because when people talk about the job, people automatically just say, oh, photojournalist, that's a stereotypically man's job. And maybe there's much more, you know, maybe there's far fewer women as photojournalists, but in the MMJ world, it's 50-50, if not more women than men. Yeah, I am actually curious to know what the percentage is because I, I feel like it, it might be more women than men as far as MMJs go, especially um, in lower markets. Yeah, and uh, and certainly, again, not just uh, women versus men, but young versus old. Typically, you'll yes. see yeah, more yeah. younger MMJs versus older young ones. Women, so. yeah. Yeah, so did you find that uh, that people were very receptive to that too? Were there any questions you received on the panel that were specific to that? You know, I actually, I think I, I'm trying to think back. I showed the story um, of the tornado damage with the uh, the horse poop story. Just some background. So I was wearing these shoes, they, like these flats with straps. I mean, just not appropriate shoes. And I did have, I did have rain boots in my car, but it was so hot outside. I just didn't want any more layers on me. So I said, you know, I spent $20 on these shoes. I'm just going to walk through the mud with these. <laughs> Little did I know there was, you know, poop mixed in there as well, horse poop as well. Uh, but I told that story because people were asking a little bit about shoes. And, and I said as well, you know, I just, I've realized no matter what amount you spend um, on your shoes, 
they usually wear out the same way if mm. they're flats. I mean, boots, that's a whole different story if you live in Minnesota. You need to invest in nice boots because you need to keep your feet warm. But when it comes to flats, I mean, yeah, I spend very little on them. And I saw, you know, all the women in the audience nodding their heads <laughs> in agreement. <laughs> that's great. This they, is, they can all, yeah, we can all relate. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. She is Heidi Wigdahl, MMJ at Care TV in the Twin Cities. One of many top-notch MMJs I interviewed for my new book, The Solo Video Journalist. The Poop Shoes story is in the book as well, and it's a great one. Uh, the book is a how-to guide for the MMJ process, specifically aimed at young journalists and storytellers getting going in their careers. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I've got links to how to get it on the blog. Heidi, um, we're, we're, we started to get into this, but I wanted to focus in, uh, really focus in on uh, what I interviewed you about for the book. Uh, the importance of appearance was actually the subject of the chapter for which I interviewed you, and we talked for a long time on the phone uh, in the chapter – uh, I kind of offer advice for the for the men and use generous helpings of your advice uh, when kind of speaking to women on these questions. And I know it was an education for me to talk to you about it. And I thought it was interesting because you told me when you were starting out, you kind of had to be convinced to really devote a lot of time to appearance. Yeah. It, it wasn't quite what you had, I guess, uh, thought you had signed up for in terms of the MMJ spot or the TV news spot. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, I do like makeup. I like fashion, but it's just not something I'm good at. I mean, I've gotten better at the makeup portion just because my first station, I had to anchor a lot. So you really had to learn how to do all that. But yeah, going into it, I'm thinking, you know, you're on TV for like 10 seconds. I mean, how much right. time am I really going to devote to my face? Um, but, you know, I was feeling so frazzled in my first job and feeling like I was constantly racing up until the last minute, running into the studio to be live because I had to spend time putting on makeup, you know, making my hair look nice. And so when I was in uh, Chicago visiting, I interned for this producer reporter team, uh, Carol Marine and Don Mosley, their investigative producer reporter team at NBC there. And, um, I was, I went to school at DePaul. And so I, when I was back there talking to them, they were asking me how everything was going. And I told them, oh, I just, I don't have time to put on my makeup. It's just a waste of time. <laughs> and you know, there are more important things I can be doing than this. And she just got real serious with me real fast. And she's like, you make time. And it just kind of scared me. I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> and so she basically was telling me how, you know, when, when people look at you on TV, you don't want them to be looking at your face, thinking about, oh, like, what's wrong? Like, something looks off or what's she, what's she doing with her hair? And you want people to be able to focus on what you're saying, the story you're trying to convey. And that always really stuck with me and, you know, makeup seems really trivial, but I think it is, you know, it's a part of the job and I think it's important for you to look at least polished enough. I mean, you don't have to cake on your face with makeup and change yourself into someone you're not and, you know, someone you don't actually look like, but I mean, you need to look presentable 
which uh, which is basically what she was telling me. Comb your hair before you go in there. Is that so hard? And no, it's not so hard. And so I really I really have to time out my day to make enough time for that last portion with the makeup. I know um, yesterday I was fronting a story, but I was in the B block. We're lucky that in the studio they have these huge mirrors. And so I was able to do, we have to do our mic checks 15 minutes before the show, which to me is just like as an MMJ, 15 minutes right. before the show. That's Come valuable on. time. Yes. Um, and so I didn't have my makeup done. I didn't have my hair done, but luckily I was able to go in there, get my mic check. You know, I'm all mic'd up. And then I just was putting on my makeup during the A block. But I try to time it out where... You know, if I'm on at five o'clock, I try to time it out by, you know, four thirty, four thirty-five. I'm wrapping things up with my story and starting to put some makeup on. That can be tricky. And I and I know, you know, you mentioned going through that as a woman, but I know I think a lot of male journalists and MMJs specifically, they're very uh reluctant to kind of dive into the whole arena of wearing makeup and they yeah. kind of figure, oh, well, you know, we're guys and, you know, people don't expect us to have a lot of makeup on. So it's OK. But, you know, it can especially when you're, you know, maybe as a as a traditional reporter, you can get away with it a little more. But when you're out all day shooting and you're sweating and, and you're, you know, yeah. your hair gets messed up. I mean, these are things that you do have to devote time to. And, and that can be a hard pill to swallow for MMJs, especially because, again, we never have any time. But right. yeah, I mean, you kind of have to do it. And I will, you know, I've gotten to a point now where I've got my two makeup uh, <laughs> items that I wear and I can pretty much put them on blind if I need to. But, you know, I, I know that I need about five minutes, whether that's, you know, as I'm setting my story, if I can run to the bathroom or if I have to go out to wherever I'm going to be live and just do it into the mirror in a compact like I know I need that time. And it's critical because, right. like you said, yeah, it's not the end of the world if you don't look, you know, immaculate, but you don't want to distract from your work for something that's easily fixable. Yes. You know, I did uh, when Prince died here. So I think it was like 1030 in the morning. And I made the mistake of not putting on makeup before coming to work. Sometimes I think, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll get to work. I'll put it on later before I go on air. Well, I definitely learned my lesson because mm. all of a sudden our assistant news director comes up and she goes, we need you right now <laughs> in the studio. So then I'm in the studio. You know, we're doing our live cut-ins about Prince and I'm, I'm basically doing social media just about how people are reacting to it. And then I start getting tweets from all these people watching, you know, everyone I know at WBIR and I have no makeup on. And I, I did look a little rough on air. I mean, it's fine. It's whatever. It's not a big deal. But it, it made me, it reminded me that I should probably put on my makeup before I get to work, mm. reapply before I go on air, just to have a little bit of a, you know, security blanket in case I get called on air. I mean, that's so rare that it happens like that, but it, it was interesting. Yeah. We, uh, in our, in the chapter, uh, in the book, we talk a lot about this, but we also talk about, I, I think one of the more functional appearance related parts of the job, which is wearing the kind of clothing that will allow you to shoot well. And again, easier 
for a traditional photographer that does not have to worry about being in presentable clothes for air, and I think probably easier for most male MMJs than for female MMJs. I know for me, whenever I speak, I talk about the fashion mullet where I kind of dress for on air up top. I wear a nice shirt and a tie, but then on bottom, it's durable khakis. It's brown shoes that they look like brown shoes. So in a wide shot, it doesn't look strange, but they're mostly uh, built with good tread and, you know, they allow me to be sturdy while I'm shooting. What has been your experience with this? uh, and, And specifically, how does it differ when I would imagine there's much more variety with clothing and with shoes as a woman. Yeah. You know, during the summer, I actually really like just polyester dresses because, I mean, below the knee polyester dresses because I feel like they're breathable, they're light. I'm all about, I just don't want a lot of clothing. I mean, that sounds terrible. I don't mean it like that. Like, I'm right. covered up, but right. but. I, I just don't want a a ton of extra stuff I don't need that's, you know, burdening me. Um, So I like polyester dresses because there's a lot of stretch. So I, and I don't feel, I don't feel weird about when I need to bend down to get a shot because it's long enough and and I'll wear like spandex shorts underneath just in case. But really I don't have to worry about that as well when I'm getting lower shots on the ground either. And I also feel like when I'm sweating, it doesn't, you know, I feel like it doesn't stick to me as much. Um, and also, I mean, they're just so durable. Like you can get snags on them and everything and it's fine. Um, I, you know, I wear a lot of pencil skirts. I know that's not for a lot of people, a super comfortable option because it is quite restrict restricting. Um, I did have one though. It kept the back kept moving to the front and I was constantly adjusting it. And it was making me so frustrated while I was out shooting that I finally, I got rid of that. I got rid of that skirt. Um, and then as far as in the winter, uh, I, you know, I just wear a lot of just stretchy dress pants. I mean, it's not anything too intense. I'm pretty casual in what I wear. And I feel like it depends on your station because I feel like care is much more relaxed. You, you can get away with dressing a little more casual. It doesn't have to be so polished all the time. Um, so I don't run into that, but I know everyone has different, you know, some stations, they, they don't let the women show their shoulders. You know, I don't have to worry about that at my station. So when it's really hot out, I can wear something showing my shoulders, which I think is important for me because I just don't like the heat. You know, I'm from Minnesota and (laughs) you're, you're carrying around this equipment, you're sweating a ton. I just hate it. Uh, during the winter, though, I do have an issue with uh, I have to wear the down comforter coats. And this sounds weird, but my arms will actually get sore from the down comforter trying to lift things up and down with oh, it all wow, the time. because of the extra weight. I, extra weight, yes. My arms will be sore. But, I mean, that's just something you have to do. If you're in Minnesota, like, you need to wear a warm coat. Yeah. It's funny. These but are. Those just... my... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I mean, those are just my, my basic things. I'm pretty low maintenance with how I dress. Um, I think I told you this when I was uh, talking to you about the book that I will leave a black blazer on my chair and I, I don't like blazers. I'm, I don't feel myself in them, but I will leave one on the chair. So if I'm in a situation where I need to put something on, you know, quick, that's going to look polished, I have it there. These are such important discussions to have, and it's funny. It, it's, it sounds funny to me, even, you know, this is the 40th, 47th episode of this podcast. It's the first one where I think 
we've deep dove into appearance and fashion, but my gosh, it is just so critical as an MMJ to not so much to master it and be at the height of fashion, but to have it under control so that you don't have to worry about it and you can tell your story the right way. So it's great that uh, it's great to get some of your insights. Plenty more uh, in the book from Heidi, who uh, contributed a lot of time and a lot of insight, and we appreciate it. Uh, again, this is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. She's Heidi Wigdahl of Care TV, one of the many one woman and one man bands interviewed in my new book, The Solo Video Journalist, available now through Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and other booksellers. Heidi, um, we're at the third and final segment of the podcast, and I always like to use this last section to talk more generally about advice for younger journalists. And you know, as we've talked about, the whole book is about that when it comes to MMJs. But you, to me, are a very unique. Uh, uh, example in terms of MMJs because you still are very much a younger journalist. You've been doing this about six, seven years, but have made your way uh, very quickly to a great place. And you're not far removed from the people who I'm really hoping will take advantage of this book. I'm curious, uh, as someone who I believe you graduated in 2010 uh, out yep. of DePaul, what were the resources that you had coming up specifically as an MMJ? How did you kind of build up your repertoire as a shooter, as a writer, as an editor? What was your strategy? Yeah, you know, in college, the on the shooting side, not so much did I really get advice from anyone. Um, but <laughs> I think that's I mean, a tough one. I to a, yeah, I went to a great school, but it wasn't as focused on broadcast. But I did find some great mentors while I was there. Like I mentioned, Carol and Don, and I really looked to them to give me advice when I was first starting off. I would send them my stories almost every single day. And they would tell me what I needed to work on. Uh, specifically, when I was at KTTC in Rochester, there was a photographer there, the chief photog named Chuck Sibley. I mean, I'm sure it, someone listening to this knows who he is. I actually think I, mean, I know that like, name. Do you? Yeah, he's a legend. And just one of the most talented photographers I've ever met. And just so removed from the world of TV news, just focused on his craft. And, you know, he was born and raised in Rochester and that's where he'll retire. He's been at that same station his entire career. Just amazing. And so whenever I'd go out with him, he would always be teaching me how to be a better shooter, giving me tips. And I would always look at his raw video. You know, I would have to um, edit the packages. He would just shoot them. And so I could then look at all of his raw video. He'd give me advice on how to edit it. And then, um, Really, I didn't know about MPPA until I went to Knoxville. Mm. And once I found MPPA, so I would get discouraged watching some of the some of the stories people were doing. They were amazing stories, but I always felt like, well, I can't do that same thing because I'm by myself. And they have two people and it's just me. And then I found the um, solo video category for the quarterlies. And I started watching all of those and I just got so inspired by all of the work I saw in there. I got so many ideas on how to be a better shooter, you know, writer, everything. And that's when I really saw my work go to the next level is because I actually felt like there were other people out there that I could look to. And so I still have, you know, a lot of MMJs that I look up to and I try to follow their work because I think it, I think it's great to admire the work of all different sorts of journalists, but especially if you're an MMJ, I think it's important to find MMJs that you really connect to 
and that you're inspired by their work so it can keep you inspired. So those were kind of my, my main tools. Um, just MPPA, yeah, different photographers. And, uh, I also worked with, um, Chris Conti. He's in Nashville. Yes. So we worked together at KTTC and I mean, he's an amazing writer. And so I would always look to him for advice as well with my writing. And he really introduced me to being a storyteller. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I just had a lot of good influences really early on in my career that I think helped steer me in the right direction as far as what kind of journalist I wanted to be. So I just continued to build on that. Yeah. And uh, I think that's so important, like you said, to, to find those MMJs that also you admire. And not so much because an MMJ tells a story differently than a two-person crew, but because I think every now and then, especially when you're feeling overwhelmed, you need a reminder of what's possible when you're younger and when, when you're really starting. I still need that now. Not necessarily about what's possible as an MMJ, but just in the field. I know anytime I see a story, no matter who did it, and I think, oh, wow, that's right. You can do something like that. You can do something like that with a camera or with a line of script. Just being reminded of that, it's a constant, uh, it's a constant inspiration for me then to go push myself a little more and to try to remove the limitations. And it's not just the MMJ limitations. It's the limitations of you know, what might be expected of you in a newscast or you know, just the general role. And, and so I think that's a really important thing, especially as you're young coming up, to try to look at other MMJs whose work you're admiring and pick apart what they do. Yeah, and I know um, at the Ignite Your Passion workshop, that was something that they had received feedback on because um, a lot of them, yeah, younger MMJs, and saying they were seeing a lot of pieces that weren't day terms. And so, you know, especially in, in the smaller markets, you're doing the daily grind every single day. You maybe get one opportunity during sweeps to do a story that's not a day turn. And so they were wanting to see more day turn stories. And so I think that's important, yeah, to, to have a wide variety of stories that you can look to. Because, yeah, if I'm looking at some of these five minute long, beautiful features, I mean, it's hard for me to... I mean, you can obviously still get inspiration from it, but it can get discouraging as a as a one person, you know, as an MMJ. So not even as an yeah. MMJ, just as someone who's yeah. in the mix instead of out of the mix. Right, right. Uh, by the way, one thing I, I really wanted to ask about because I, I thought this was important: uh, your bio from your Rochester days is still up online, which is oh, fascinating no. to me. But. Um, <laughs> Oh, no. But the thing specifically that I saw when I was looking at it uh, that I wanted to ask you about is, um, you know, you kind of referenced this earlier how DePaul maybe didn't have the best, uh, most robust uh, broadcast department. But in looking at your bio from Rochester, it was saying that while you were at DePaul, you were part of a documentary team. You worked for the school paper. Obviously, you were working uh, with Carol Marine. You did a lot of things in media that were not producing 90-second packages. And... I know I always talk about when I speak to younger uh, journalists and college students about getting any kind of journalism experience you can because it all pays off and it all affects you. I have to imagine that versatility that you got in college has paid off for you as a professional. Is that is that right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the the huge thing I always tell interns coming in is to to be on your school newspaper. I think that's so important to have a print background and actually – when I was in college, I was going to be, I thought I was going to go the print route. And then I was getting steered more towards broadcast by a lot of professors. 
And then basically when I was applying for jobs, I applied half for print jobs, half for broadcast. And I just kind of said, well, I'll see what happens. But my web scripts, they follow the AP style. I feel like, you know, and, and a lot of people, when they, um, a lot of people will just read the web script. They won't even watch the video a lot of times. And so I think people don't give the web script enough credit that it deserves. And so I really do devote time to it. And that's important to me. So I always tell people, newspaper, yes. That's Join awesome. the newspaper. Um, and then, yeah, I did, I did a few different things. I mean, honestly, when I look back at my time at DePaul, I maybe produced six packages, seven packages the whole time I was there. I mean, I, I know it sounds good, the different things I did, but I was, I was not prepared going into my first job. My first uh, package I did, I mean, they were editing it for me at like 4.55. I, I tracked it <laughs> at like 4.50. I did not time it out right. But I mean, I think it's just all about going with the flow and adapting to situations. But I definitely uh, cried myself to sleep for the first two weeks in <laughs> Rochester and said I was going to quit every single day and had a lot of good people surrounding me who told me to just stick it out a little bit longer. Yes, yes. <laughs> I think it's always important to remember when we start in this business that most of us start at age 21 or 22. Yeah. And we're very much still learning about who we are as people. And it is a very unique circumstance to go to that first market and be immediately uh, bombarded with deadlines and, and, and just everything that comes with this wonderful, wonderful job that we have. So, yeah, great example and, and good stuff. And again, like you said, just getting all of that experience working on documentaries, I mean, that can only help when it comes time to do those 90 second packages and, and getting that experience as a, not just a, a print writer, but as a researcher for stories, you have to usually do quite a bit more on the print side than you do on the broadcast side. Yeah. And I also, I found it really helpful. You know, I'm not an investigative reporter, but I learned all about, you know, I would file FOIAs and, you know, I would do all of that stuff that, you know, I really don't have an opportunity to do. I really haven't done much of that at any of my stations. I'm sure, you know, I, I could seek that out if I wanted to more, but I found knowing all of that really valuable and doing internships in different areas. So when I interned at CBS in Chicago, I was doing special projects. NBC, I was doing investigations. So I did large markets and then I did KSAX in Alexandria in Minnesota, which is a small, small station where I was shooting, doing packages. I did like one little anchor thing. So I think it's important experience at large stations, small stations, you get different things from each one. Outstanding. All right. Well, that's all the questions I have. But Heidi, I always like to end with that famous reporter's question, one I'm assuming you've asked quite a bit. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to add? No, I think the one thing I, I would just say is uh, it's the same thing I said in, in Ignite Your Passion. They were asking, you know, just final words for everyone. And I just said, don't be so hard on yourself. I think it's really easy to get discouraged so fast because you're you're trying to do so much all at the same time. It's it's not always going to work out how you want it. And you know, I have maybe one or two stories a month that I'm actually really proud of that I feel compelled to actually save <laughs> to a hard drive. Um, so I think it's important for people to remember, yeah, to not be so hard on themselves and just 
practice every day and try your hardest no matter what the story is. And, you know, one day you'll have a great story and all those components you've been working on will come together. Um, but no matter what the story is, I always try to go into it the same way with the same intention to do the best job I can. Excellent. All right. Heidi Wigdahl, Care TV. Thanks so much for joining me on the Telling the Story podcast. Thank you so much. And the Telling the Story blog updates every Monday and Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. And, of course, check out my new book, The Solo Video Journalist. I'm so proud of it. You'll hear advice from Heidi and plenty of other great MMJs. I hope it will be a huge resource for young TV reporters. I hope you check it out. As always, thanks for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time.